Hello, I'm Shirley Ballas and welcome to Rewirement, the retirement podcast from Legal and General. This is the series that explores how to reset, reinvent and rewire for the retirement you want. Every fortnight, I'm joined by straight-talking, honest retirees and would-be retirees with different experiences, hopes and expectations for retirement. I think it might have been nice to have the option of thinking about reducing hours and I haven't got that option. And my expert panel will be here to help too, with suggestions to help you feel confident, comfortable and in control of your finances after you've quit the day job. Today, I'm hearing from people who are approaching retirement without a partner. I'll be finding out what difference this makes to your financial and emotional planning, as well as hearing about the options available to those who are going it alone. Today, we're going to hear from three people who are approaching retirement without a partner. Last time, we met David, who's been working for the civil service for 42 years and lives with his father. I'm a a single child. I still live at home. Sadly, my mum passed away two years ago, so now it's just dad and myself. From a pension sort of situation, um, I'm probably due to get my retirement, national retirement pension when I'm about 66, 67, I'm 62 now. I'm a civil servant, so I have got a, a civil service pension that I should be getting. If I do decide to retire before pension age, then that'll be something I can maybe use. Liz is 55 and divorced with two grown-up children. She doesn't have a pension. I live in a little village in East Sussex. I have two daughters, 26 and 24. When I was young, and we're going back to when, about 35 years ago, I was working in a publishing company, which got taken over by Robert Maxwell. Now, I did have a few years pension that I'd built up, but he then went and killed himself and had spent all our pension pot. So I didn't qualify to get anything back from that, so I lost my pension. Soon after that, I met my husband and we had two children. The eldest of one has a disability, so she was in and out of hospital. So again, I didn't work then for about 15 years. When she was 15, I went back to work part-time, but again, I didn't really earn enough money to warrant sort of putting any away to go into a pension. Then, oh, five, six years ago, my husband and I got divorced and he had his own private pension, which he still has and I don't have access to. He had that. So at the moment, I'm left with nothing, really. But I do have my house, which to me is kind of like my pension, I suppose. I do not feel empowered about my financial situation when I do retire. Um, I have a sort of plan, but it's a matter of, well, I'll have to do that because I don't have anything else kind of thing. Up until a couple of years, well, 18 months ago, I was working, but I had a bad accident. I fell off a ladder when I was cutting my hedge and I completely smashed my leg up and spent four months in hospital. I'm still kind of in rehab from that. So at the moment, no, I'm not working. My next guest is Jenny. Jenny's a mum of two. She's always put into her pension and planned ahead, but still wonders what sort of choices she might have to make compared to her married friends. I'm approaching 58 and I live in Hove, in East Sussex, you know, near Brighton and Hove. I work as a social work manager and I've worked in social work really all my professional life. And I've got two children, both grown up, you know, one 27 and one 21. When you're single, you're aware that your finances are just one income. I suppose what I've noticed is friends who've been able to maybe 
work part-time at a much earlier point because they've got another income or people who've been able to friends who've been able to think well I'm going to you know I've had enough of being in my full-time job for all these years I'm going to have a break and then decide what to do and I suppose I know that I couldn't I couldn't have a break and take some time out and I I suppose you know in an ideal world that would be great but and also I think it might have been nice to have the option of thinking about reducing hours and I haven't got that option because my salary and I've still got a daughter at university so my salary is the salary. When I was younger I didn't pay into a pension I worked sort of freelance as an agency social worker for about five years which meant I didn't have a pension scheme at all and then when I got a full-time job at that stage you could when you left a job you could withdraw your pension so I did that so really from it was only really when I was in my early 30s that I even considered the need to pay into a pension. I've got to keep working until I'm, you know, get my state pension, which obviously isn't until I'm, I think it's 67. So I, I think I thought until I started to sit down and maybe consider the, the detail of the finances, I think I thought I was better placed than I actually am. I have thought at times, oh, I'd love to give up work and maybe do something more radical, go and live abroad or, you know, do something significantly different. But I think if I wasn't wanting to do that, I feel fairly okay about continuing to work. I am mindful of my, of being able to at least support my children in some way. I've got a house, I've still got a mortgage on my house, but I've got a house that's worth, you know, it's not a big house, but it's worth a reasonable amount of money. And it doesn't make sense for me to have this and for them to have no means of getting on the property ladder so I suppose I have thought quite a bit about you know moving to a cheaper area because not just for them but also because that would potentially offer me something different because it's nice I do think as much as it's great living in one place and all the benefits of that there's also that desire to have a change I suppose my Number one would be obviously health and happiness, but I would want to feel financially secure so that I can live a comfortable life, go on holidays if I wanted to, look after my, you know, be able to have money available to support them. But then as somebody approaching retirement, it's thinking about contacts and friendships and social life you've got in an area and how would you manage, particularly I'm a single person, so, you know, that might make it more difficult. Without a pension, I asked Liz how she plans to finance her retirement. I'd like to feel secure that when I could give up work, I would have enough money to live on every month. That would be lovely. Um, and not have to, to worry and maybe, you know, what the dream, buy a camper van and clear off around Europe for a couple of years. You know, it would be lovely to feel that confident that you could do that financially and you'd be secure enough. I will have to sell my house and I will move to a more reasonable area of the country, which I have family in anyway, um, in Norfolk and Suffolk. So the plan is at some point in the future, I'll sell my house in East Sussex and I'll move to that area, which will free up some money, which I will then invest in something. Um, and that hopefully will help me out in my retirement. And when you look at how much you can sell your house for and how much you could possibly buy whatever property you're looking at, do you feel there's enough money there to live on? Oh, 
will there ever be enough money to live on to do what we all wanted to do? I'm hoping so. I'm hoping there'll be enough money to live on. I mean, because also that needs to be sat down. You go through the allowance, you look at how much you're selling for, you're looking at how much you're buying for. Then you Mm. make it, if you're a list person like me, then you make a list of how much there is, how much a month do you need to live on and whether you're Mm. comfortable with that amount or do you need to keep working past the date of retirement? Yeah, I mean, that's something I'll have to sort of cross as and when I get there, whether the money I made out of my house here would be enough if I invest it to actually be enough for me to live on monthly. I'm hoping it would be. But if not, then there's always the option of a part time job just to to keep some money coming in. You know, hopefully, if you're fit and well enough, then then that's an option. I could get a job behind a bar in the local pub. That wouldn't be too bad, would it? Oh, I I couldn't think of anything more exciting, actually. (laughs) (laughs) See if you can get me one in there. I'll come with you, Liz, okay? Uh, Yeah, no problem. Even if you do know your pension fund will allow you to be comfortable in retirement, there are still questions and complexities to iron out. David told me about the scenarios he has to consider. My civil service pension I can really retire at any time but of course it does leave that gap between if I said I retire at 62 it still leaves a four or five year gap between then and getting my state pension so if I did decide to take a a lump sum and the whole amount that would have to really tide me right up till I get to my state pension and do you think it could I don't know uh, honestly don't know um, because it's one of those things it it depends on your your lifestyle what you want to do one thing I have got in my favor um, and it sounds dreadful but if anything happened to my dad uh, it would mean that I would then get inherit the house and there's a house near us that's just recently been sold for five hundred thousand pounds but that would mean looking at maybe equity release that's fine for a sort of stopgap uh, and 500,000 would be very nice. But if anything happened to me or if I became ill, a serious illness or Alzheimer's or dementia or anything like that, what happens about me going into a home or anything like that? So it's, it's something I have, you've really got to sort of stand back and think about. And also, because you're single, you've really got to have somebody you can trust Absolutely. in case later on down the line something yeah. like that happens and you yeah. do have to take equity release yeah. or any other financial yeah. situation that you so, have. You I mean, need someone yeah. you can trust. Absolutely, because, I mean, uh, you can't give a, a power of attorney to, to somebody who you know is going to sort of suddenly go off with all the money mm. and leave you with nothing. It's difficult. I mean, I have got friends, but... Nobody that I could really turn around and say, I would like you to have the power of attorney, because a lot of people might say, well, I don't want that responsibility. Um, Some people might say they do, but others won't. That's interesting. Knowing who to turn to for advice, or just having someone you can trust to talk to or manage your affairs is an important consideration for the millions of single divorced or widowed people making the move to retirement each year. It's always a bit of a minefield with regard to retirement and pension details because there's so much out there for people to sort of be told. You know, you see, as I said, mentioned just now, the equity release things. There are so many adverts in the papers and on the television and all this sort of thing. Um, And it's just knowing who is the right person to go to, what's the right thing for me to do. 
with some people, I mean, you, you could speak to friends, talk to friends about what have they done, but what works well for one person doesn't, doesn't work. necessarily work for, well for somebody else. Who do you who do you go to? I mean, if I went to the bank, they've only got their own best interest at heart. And it's the same, I think, with a lot of places. They, 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 they've got, they're selling it to you at their angle. And I think you've got to really be, a, be aware of what's happening. I asked Jenny where she turns for guidance. I wouldn't really know where to go. And a couple of times friends of mine have said, oh, well, you know, you can talk to so-and-so, my financial advisor. Or, and, and I've said, well, what did you, how does that work? What did you pay them? And they say, oh, well, no, you didn't really, didn't really have to pay. So I suppose I felt a bit, un- so that's made me feel a bit unsure about how does that work? But I think if I was in a relationship, I think I probably would feel a bit more adventurous about maybe moving or maybe travelling or, you know, whereas I would be more cautious. I mean, I'll do some of travelling, definitely, but the options are slightly different when you're just doing it on your own, I think. I asked Liz where she would look for information on her pension future. I wouldn't necessarily ask about pensions, and I think I've left it a bit late now. Um, And also not working, I can't put any money into it. I would ask about equity release. I would also ask that if I sold the house and... I had sort of like half the money to invest. What would they suggest that I put that in? That that would be what I ask. Liz, what let I would me ask, ask a question. Them. Who do you speak to about money and finance? Who's your confidant? Um, my family, basically. Sort of my brother and my sister would be the main people I would speak to. My brother's very sensible. I'm very switched on about things like that. So I would speak to him for a sensible conversation. And I would speak to my sister just to sort of get it off my chest and say, I don't know what I'm going to do, and then we'll come up with a plan or something, but um, it's never a very good plan. Uh, So my family, basically, would be the main people I speak to. And do you ever talk to your children about finances? No, I don't particularly discuss it much with them. No, not really. Is there for a reason? Like, for example, um, if you discuss it, do you think it's like a lesson for them when they move forward? Do you feel like it's you just want to keep things more... See, my mother's a very private person. And I feel always about sharing, even though sometimes my son doesn't want to hear about a will or a pension policy or this or that. I feel it's important to share the ups and downs I've been through in my life so that perhaps when he comes across those kinds of ups and downs himself, maybe he can reflect back. Do you feel perhaps it would be worth talking to them? I, I Yes, I suppose. I mean, my youngest daughter's probably far more sensible financially than I am. So she would probably talk to me and tell me where <laughs> I've gone wrong. So that's fine. She's very sensible. She's got her world, her life sorted. So financially, that that's fine. Um, the other one is uh, not quite the same. And yeah, I mean, they know the situation. They know that I've got a will. They know what's in it. They, you know, we do, we talk about that. Um but I suppose there's no point, I don't talk about, oh, what am I going to do when I retire because I won't be able to live off the state pension because, you know, I have got a plan in place, sort of, if it works. Um, and also I wouldn't want to worry them. You know, it's not their problem, so I wouldn't want to worry them. But yet, in a way that they could learn by my mistakes to encourage them to look into things when they're early and when they're younger and a lot earlier would is sensible. It's a tough decision to make for anyone to sell up and move to a new area even if it does release some cash from your property. We'll talk a little more about the options available here later on. First, I asked David what he thought the challenges were for a single person in retirement. At the moment, if I retired now, I'd still have Dad. But, I mean, if I retired and he wasn't there, I would just be on my own. 
I'm a fairly outgoing sort of person. I mean, I, I will, would make myself go out and, you know, out for meals or go out but it, it's always very difficult if you're if you go out for a meal and you're on your own you're sort of they either sit you near the kitchen or in the middle of the restaurant or somewhere like that or somewhere where nobody else wants to sit um and what what do you do i mean i've, I've been i've seen people on their own in, in pubs and restaurants and this sort of thing um and that's always i think a bit difficult and it's always very sad in one sense but i wouldn't want people to pity me i would i would just sort of try and find somebody to go out with and so that there were two of you to have a conversation um so yeah uh, that and that so loneliness i think would be one of the biggest challenges for a single person um but uh, it's, uh, the plus side is obviously you can do what you want to do. Um, so, you know, if you want to get up early, you can get up early. If you don't want to get up early, you don't. So, you know. You're on your own schedule. You can always call me if I'm in the area. Absolutely, sure. Absolutely, sure. Yes, yeah. If I want to go to a dance partner, if I want a dance partner, I'll do that. Thank you. <laughs> I'll try not to tread on your toes. Thank you. <laughs> How do you personally plan to find your way around the lack of workplace community? Some people aren't that gregarious. They don't go out and want to do those sort of things. So, they, and it's really for some people a real push to to make them, you know, do something different. And um, I think it's difficult if you're if you're working in an office, you get that daily routine. You get the same people. You see the same people faces. They get to know you. They get to know your moods. They get to know if you're in a good mood or a bad mood. If you're on your own. Um, who do, you, who do you talk to? You've got to really get a network of friends that will be able to sort of go out to and say to them, no, this, is, this is a problem or I've got a problem, this is what I need to, need to do. So, yeah, it's always a bit of a problem. But I think if you, if you really want to make that effort, you, you can get out and do it. My mum's 82, by the way, and she still gets out and about and has friends and across to Liverpool and um, up doing a washing and ironing, oh, likes she, her own company, yeah, never no. got married again after the first husband. No, I mean, you some know, people do. Some people do like that. company. And I mean, you know, I, I mean, I can quite easily spend the day in the garden or, I mean, sort clearing the house and tidying and this sort of thing. Um, I just would not be able to sit. I mean, some people say, oh, I just like to sit down and watch the television. I couldn't do that all day, every day. Um, I, I mean, it's nice to watch some programmes, but you, you've got to really sort of get out and do things, otherwise you just vegetate. I asked Jenny if she thought her social life would change when she stopped working. Yeah, it does provide friendships and it does provide stimulation and structure, but I suppose I do think you can find that in other ways. I suppose I've seen people replicate some of that through voluntary work or hobbies and but no I, I think I think it's easy to underestimate maybe the positives of work you know I've lived here for 20 years one of my sort of best friends lives around the corner I've got nice name you know I've, I've I obviously have got to know quite a lot of people it's more that that I would be really conscious of if you move what's that like but then I have also got friends and even my parents who moved at a similar age to me and they very quickly make new connections and friends. Planning for your future when you're solo can be a different game, not just from a financial standpoint, but also in terms of your relationships, living situation and those who depend on you for support. 
If that's you, hopefully today's conversations have reassured you that there are many people out there facing the same questions and decisions. In each episode, I get a chance to put these questions to the experts. And today, I'm joined by Chris Knight, the CEO of Legal and General Retail Retirement, and Joe Hemmings, a behavioral psychologist and author. It's great to talk to you, Joe and Chris. Joe, retirement is a big life change for anyone to navigate emotionally. What added dimensions do you think being solo, whether that's single, widowed or divorced, brings to this? I think it's all about emotional preparedness. I think if you're single and you've been working or you're solo and you've been working, what you've had for a great deal of your daily life is the companionship and camaraderie and company of other workers. Uh, colleagues. And that's a big chunk of a week. Uh, You may be used to being on your own in the evening or at weekends, but to have that taken away can be quite a difficult thing for some people. So I think, you know, knowing, being prepared and planning in advance or knowing that that bulk of your hours, though you may have been working, were with other people, uh, you will need to sort of think about replacing that um, with other company. Do you have many clients who are approaching a retirement change? What sort of questions do they come up with? The ones who'd come to me are often the ones who were dreading it, who were very fearful, who wondered how that third trimester of life was going to pan out, didn't know what to do, needed reassurance. But they're the ones sometimes who've already been thinking about it a bit. The ones who I think need it most, who probably wouldn't come to me, are those that think it's going to be fantastic, it's going to be a breeze, it's going to be marvellous, I won't look back. And they're sometimes the ones who actually have the biggest shock to their system, if you like, rather than the ones who anticipate it's going to be quite different. You must hear some inspiring stories. Very inspired by a lot of people. I think together we've made a sort of plan uh, about what they'll do and things that they may feel a bit uncomfortable about in the first instance, they'll give it a go. It's all about finding what feels right for you and adjusting to it. Nobody goes into retirement suddenly saying, Uh, I'm going to go on holiday on my own. I'm going to go out for dinner every night on my own. These are things you choose. You see if you like them, how do you adjust to them, making new contacts, new friends, new associations. So it's getting that balance and knowing that things are going to change and how just taking baby steps are changing them. It doesn't have to be, you know, an overwhelming all at once significant change. But yeah, I've been pretty impressed by some of my clients. Are people more worried now about coronavirus? Well, there, I think there are three, three, three key things to remember here. I, due to the coronavirus epidemic, actually, if there's any positive takeaway, it's that some of these people living on their own will have met neighbours they have never met before. So there'll be a community around them that perhaps they just hadn't had the time or thought about getting to know before. But that's one of the key things. To know, actually, and we're talking about stats, but actually they're more single people living in this country than ever before. So you will not be alone in that situation. So do not be fearful about reaching out to communities, to other people, to getting to know new people, however you do it via going to the gym or a local organisation or community centre. That's really important. Secondly, I say make technology your friend because lots of older people have got by without really using any technology at all apart from their phones. And there's a whole world out there that's quite easy to use that will keep you in touch with friends and relatives on video calls, 
that will get you onto social media. I mean, there's so much information out there. It's not that hard, even if you've ignored it up to now. You know, get to learn it because it really will be your your companion. And thirdly, on a practical level, there are so many free things to do. So even if you're a bit, you know, you're fretting a bit about how far your money's going to stretch, anybody in any town or near a town will have loads of free things to do. They could be art galleries, museums, uh, events. There's so much out there that costs no money at all. And it's a great way of getting out and it's a great way of meeting other people too. Chris, it's great to have you back again. Our rewirees have talked about being unsure where to go for advice. How do you cut through all the jargon that's out there? Yeah, there is an awful lot out there, isn't there? First of all, your existing uh, pension providers should be sending you something called a wake-up pack, which will give you some useful information. So have a look at that and go onto their websites and maybe go onto the websites of um, some other providers. Um, There's a couple of really good free sources out there. There's PensionWise, which is a government-backed organisation. You can actually get free advice conversations when you get to retirement. And lots of people find them really, really helpful. So definitely go on to PensionWise. There's also the Money Advice Service, uh, which again is a government thing. So it's very independent. uh, And that gives you a lot of help if you want to shop around, uh, because people really should look to shop around. Or your employer or your, your pension scheme you're a member of probably gives you some access to financial advice too. Or you can go on to something like um, unbiased.com and get uh, the name of a, a local uh, financial advisor in your area. But, you know, take time to do it. There's, there's no rush. And if you can bring yourself up to speed and people get themselves informed, they'll feel much better about it. They'll feel much more confident to make the right decisions for themselves. The stats show that women often retire with smaller pensions than men. Why do you think that is? Yeah, Shelley, unfortunately, that is uh, often quite true. And it's largely to do with what happens during uh, women's working lives, which tends to mean that that either they or their employers pay less money into uh, pension pots. So, for example, women are more likely to take uh, career breaks at some point during their career, either to look after children or to look after other relatives. Um, And they're more likely, women are more likely to have worked uh, part-time or in other kind of areas or roles where in the past there wasn't such great pension provision. And then, of course, there's that sort of famous salary gap where women have earned uh, less than men in, in, in the past. So, so from that perspective, they often have smaller pots uh, to, to, to work with. And the other truth is that women tend to live longer than men uh, as well. So the smaller pots that women have tend to have to stretch that bit further. I think it's worth saying that that studies sometimes show that women are a bit less confident than men in the sort of financial planning area. That's not really true. I mean, uh, women are just as good, if not better than men, about making the right decision. So that, again, if they take the time to get themselves informed um, and look at all their options, they can be in a much better place. Joe, what is a healthy mental approach to retirement? I stayed in bed the other day till 10.30. I was so upset for 48 hours. I tell you, I couldn't get it out of my mind that I didn't feel productive. I have to get up. Well, now with the coronavirus, 8 o'clock, but normally I'm up at 6. <laughs> you can still do something productive, Shirley, with a lion. Don't forget that. I don't think you should be too hard on yourself. Uh, I think it's perfectly OK to lie in bed until 10 a.m. on your first day or two after retirement, possibly even your first week. Uh, But no, I don't think it's a very good pattern to keep. But I understand how you might just want to see what it feels like if you've been getting up for years at 
or six or seven o'clock in the morning. It's going to be a huge treat just to see what it feels like um, to lie in bed till 10. So I expect people to do it for a couple of days, of course. And then I think, you know, you need a sense of purpose. You feel that you've got to do something. I, you, you can't spend the rest of your days in bed, though there's nothing wrong with a few lions. So, so don't be too hard on yourself. Lots of people we've talked to say they are looking forward to more time socialising and travelling. But as David said there, you don't always want to go out to dinner alone. What other opportunities are there to enjoy these things in later life when you're on your own? Well, as I mentioned earlier, there are opportunities for socialising through organisations, through cinema clubs, theatre clubs, whatever your interest is, art, your hobbies, walking. I mean, there it is all there before you. But there's also the possibility of dating in later life. If you're single and you want to meet somebody, um, I have a lot of clients who are well past retirement age who are still having a ball um, enjoying meeting people online. And they don't have to go out for dinner on their own because they have someone to go out with. So all those, that freedom, it's like being 18 again, but with a little bit more money and a little bit more sense and, and you know, more liberation. So I would always encourage people to do that if that's what they want to do. Um, there, there's definitely no time limit on, on the dating side of things. Oh, I'm glad you said that. Thank you. Oh, surely you and I need to have a separate conversation. Oh, I would like to have a separate conversation, I think. <laughs> yeah. There's a few things I'd like to ask, actually. I think David raised a good point about having someone to talk to when the unexpected happens. How important is a good support network? Well, it's very important. I mean, but it's a two-way process. So I think often you get fulfilled by supporting somebody else as well. I think, again, this is something coronavirus has showed us. There's always someone more vulnerable than you that you can help. And that makes us feel good. Um, but yes, knowing that you've got one or two people who will be there for you, come what may, and doing that sort of swap so you're there for each other is incredibly important. Again, it's a safety net, a sense of security and companionship and friendship these are things that we value so much more in retirement because uh, they become that much more a priority and that much more significant. Chris it must be even more important to consider how you'll fund your retirement when you're on your own. Yes Shirley I think that's absolutely true Um, I think that's true both for retirees who don't have partners and for people who are retiring don't have children. There's a million people aged over 60 that don't Uh, have children. And I think sometimes they get left out of the debate. But not having a partner or a support network, you know, can make things more expensive. So people thinking about that might want to think about having a higher rainy day fund uh, than they would otherwise do. People might also want to think about their insurance and making sure that they have protection there. And finally, maybe thinking about products that provide guarantees, like guarantees of income, so you don't have to worry or rely on anybody else. When people have divorced, their pension situation may also change. It's often the last thing on your mind to sort out. What guidance can you give on navigating this? Yeah, look, I mean, divorce is a complex thing and pensions are a complex thing as well. So putting the two together is really doubly difficult. And I think often pensions are the things that get left to last, if you like, in in a divorce. So as well as getting good kind of legal advice, you might want to get good financial advice at the same time. I mean, one interesting situation that often happens uh, with divorce is that sort of one one person, so often the woman, uh, would end up uh, with the house maybe, um, when the other p- person in the divorce is kept to the pension assets. And that's all fair and above board and everything else. But it does mean that 
the one with the with the house the woman might need to use the house more to fund retirement than than use uh, pension assets and you know it's it's a bit more complicated it's definitely not impossible but it but it's definitely worth thinking about and and taking um, getting some good financial advice on that too chris are there some more practical things people can do to afford the retirement they want does jenny have to choose between the neighborhood she's always known or having a bit more cash in retirement well, look, downsizing into another property or an age-specific property in your neighbourhood might be a really good idea. And, and there are these days more, more variety of those kind of properties available. And um, legal in general, we're investing in those things uh, too. Um, but if you really want to stay in your own home, then a lifetime mortgage, which is a type of equity release, might, might be a good option too. Um, you'll be able to stay in that house forever and you don't have to worry about that. Um, and the lifetime mortgage can provide you with uh, some cash, either sort of as a lump sum or as a regular payment or some sort of combination of the both. Um, so it's quite flexible. Um, so it, it does reduce the value of, of the inheritance if you want to leave that uh, to the next generation. But you can also kind of earmark a part of your house uh, to, be, to be left uh, to, the, to the children or grandchildren. And that's called inheritance protection, which is, is becoming increasingly popular. So for, for many people, that's a really good option, but they should definitely talk to a financial advisor. When you die, does the equity release people take all your home or do they only take no. the portion that you've taken out for equity release? No, that's a really good question. People often uh, worry about that. No, the house gets sold and then you just pay, the, you pay back to the, to the equity release can be just what you owe them. So it's the £30,000 and if... Yeah, if you've paid the interest, then it's just £30,000. But you can, you can also not pay the interest because many people, you know, they, they, they can't afford to pay the interest. They don't want to pay the interest. And then so that gets taken case, out. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Um, uh, they, they used to be in the old days, those kind of products. But fortunately, those products, they're, they're, not, available, they're not out there anymore. It's a, it's, a much, it's a much better kind of environment than it used to be, to be, on, to be honest. Chris, is equity release for everyone? No, Shelley, it's not for everybody, um, but we think it would uh, help a lot of people. Um, but the key thing is um, to get some good financial advice. So, so find, find a good financial advisor and, and talk to them about it. Thank you. <laughs> some truly helpful thoughts on making sure you're ready financially and emotionally for solo retirement. Hopefully you can have some action points and ideas to help you feel comfortable and enjoy the retirement you deserve. You can find out more about retirement planning at legalandgeneral.com slash retirement. In our next episode, we'll be talking about how to fund your dream retirement. Whether you want to tour the nation on a narrow boat, start a business or pack off to the sunnier shores. Subscribe on your podcast listening platform and you'll get it on your device as soon as it's available. Thanks for listening. I'm Shirley Ballas and I'll catch up with you next time. 